Well, welcome to another edition of Unplugged, and it is finally all over, unfortunately. We've sort of flirted with the prospects of uh, staying alive in the finals race and battling for one of those spots in the lower half of the eight. And, and to the, the club's credit, they've looked down and out at times this year, but they were still alive right through the the end. And it did end with a fight. They they were certainly competitive against a, a very good Geelong side. They, they set the game up early for, for what should have been a real match-winning opportunity, and it was. They were a point down with three minutes to go in the game, and just unfortunately couldn't quite do enough. There's an element of disappointment in that, but in saying that, it's a long way from their worst loss for the year, and it's a long way from being as bad as the loss against that same Geelong side earlier on in the season. Clearly, the injury to Max King, who was dominating early, uh, hampered their chances after quarter time. 46 inside 50s to 32 against. If you've only got 32 entries, you are going to struggle. But um, it was probably just a case that, that the Cats had a few guys that handled the moments in, in the big moments like Cameron and, and Dangerfield towards the end. But a, a, a creditable effort, but at the same time, enough to be a little bit frustrated about that it, that it sort of slipped away. And, and that kind of summed up the season where we gave ourselves a chance, but we were just consistently not good enough to take it. Uh, we battle on to Fremantle again that will be played in Hobart, uh, of all places. Uh, we've played Fremantle in Tasmania before and nothing of note particularly happened in, in those games. So probably don't even have to touch on them too much. But um, we get them in Hobart this time. But uh, Nick, it was um, it was a very, very small, and, and it hurt, but there was a very, very small element of relief almost when it finished, thinking that this has been a nightmare and at least we're out of our misery. Yeah, it was really, um, it was really kind of mixed feelings in in mm. those few minutes, I guess, leading into and then after the final siren, because there was a part of me that was really disappointed about the result, because I thought we played well enough in parts, <clears throat> and like we had against Geelong earlier in the year, that we kind of showed that we can compete at the level, and then to fall away in in moments and just you know give up the ball so easily in terms of you know, winning the hard ball, and and there was a period in I think it was the last probably three to five minutes of the first quarter and then the first 10 minutes of the second quarter where I think they won eight or 10 clearances straight and we mm. just could not get our hands on the ball in the middle. And it was kind of like you, you wonder, you wonder had Max King, like you said, not not aggravated that, that adductor if he hadn't gone off because he was so dominant in those first 10 or 15 minutes. Has, you know, if Max King doesn't go off and we win a couple more clearances in the middle and, and he kicks another one or two, is the game almost out of reach at that point? Um, you know, we, we were we were playing such good footy for those first twenty minutes of the game that it looked like, you know, this this was a, a St Kilda team that that turned up that that had shown they were ready to play. They want to win for the first time in six weeks. This is a team that wants to win that final final spot, and, and they're going to throw everything at them. And you know, ultimately, for whatever reason, it, it wasn't enough, like you said. Um, but I think, like you said, that at, at the siren and, and all of a sudden you, you're going, oh, it's over now. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about that, you know, that 10% chance that we can play finals, that, that little shot, that little light that's still burning at the end of the tunnel that maybe we can we can do it again, that, that kind of miracle finals run and and, uh, and go on for an extra couple of weeks. But, you know, it wasn't to be. And there was, there was an element of relief at, at that moment thinking about, not having to worry about it for any any more hmm. uh, any more time, but um, yeah, I mean, pretty disappointing as a whole. Yeah, I think it was, and and H will probably touch on that. It will touch on the season as a whole over coming weeks. But 
it did allow us that point to reflect on what is probably a waste, I would say, this season. Yeah. I mean, look, saying it, it's all over and that sort of stuff, but I keep seeing stat- statisticians, those statisticians selling us because we've still got 1% chance of making it. I mean, I think, it's less, than, by, I think it's less than 1%. We're gonna win by, yeah, we're going to win by 30 goals and Collingwood by 30 goals. That's, that's not too much. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, it's it just not there this season. Um, I mean, the fact is, we've lost a few games that we shouldn't have lost. And that's why we're out. The, those, those crucial games, which you should win, they're the games that get you into the finals. And yeah, just co- costly wins that you sort of look back and going, that if we deserve to be in, if we'd won those, but yeah, we, we you, you don't deserve to probably make it when you lose to Adelaide, how we did, how just, just those sort of results where we've turned over, great leads and just falling into a hole. So um, it's looking back at the game on the weekend, it, it, it was well, probably a lot closer than what, um, what it, it felt a lot closer than what it is when you look at some of the, 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 the stats of the game. Uh, I, I only didn't midweek. I think I looked at it and went, hang on, we had 104 less possessions at them. I, it's I fairly normal in Geelong of, games, though, but it doesn't look yeah, good. I, yeah. No, I, I I thought the game was much closer than that before I yeah. looked at it. And I, I thought um, Marshall probably halved the ruck contest, but he got absolutely smashed. I was, mm. I was, it, just these things, I was thinking, going, mm. hang on, we we might have done a little bit better than what I actually thought we did, to be honest. So it's, it, it's yeah, just it's, it's all up. It's a bit disappointing, as it's, we say, but... We've got to come back next year and win those matches that we didn't win. Yeah, it's I guess a good, yeah. it's a good point. Sorry, I was going to say, and and like you, you mentioned, Parker, we'll we'll do a, I guess, a deeper dive into the season as a whole, probably next week. But and and all the listeners will be saying, well, why didn't you talk about so and so, and why didn't you talk about this player and we will you know, whatever we will we'll do that we'll yeah. do that next week. But yeah, you mentioned a good point, H, about winning those games that that you should win, and you look back at the at the fixture, and there were so many games you. Let's let's put aside those the mammoth losses, the Essendon game, the the Bulldogs game, etc. But there were so many games that we were in a position to win and threw it away in the second half or in the last quarter, or just couldn't hold on for whatever reason, or just couldn't kick that last goal to, to seal it, or just couldn't kick that goal to put us in, put us in front in the end. And that happened so many times this year. And you think about the position we were at, kind of mid year, um, and. You know, it felt like we'd been walloped so many times, and, and we had to get to the point where we're still in finals contention in in round twenty two, um, and and potentially still fighting out for a, a, a final spot. Um, yeah, it feels like the year has been a lot worse than it has, and you, know, you look back at the ladder ten years from now, and you'll think, oh, St Kilda finished tenth or twelfth, whatever it ends up being. Yeah, it doesn't look horrible. Yeah, you know, it's not wooden spoon like we've become used to as Saints fans, but you know, we were, we were closer in so many games than it actually feels like at, at this point in time. Yeah. It's been probably the hardest work of, of many seasons that I could remember. 2017 was a little bit that way where we, we lost a couple of really costly games, Port Adelaide and West Coast and those sorts of games. And that felt like a bit of a labor like this. 2011 was a bit that way, even though we made the finals, but that was a bit hard given where we come from. But just on that, we probably played 
I'm not counting the Collingwood game in this because we, we genuinely flogged them in that game. We just tightened up at the end, but we weren't going to lose. But we played nine games that would have been in the balance in the second half and we won three and, and lost six. So you got the Giants game, both the West Coast games, both the Geelong games, Sydney, Adelaide, Port Adelaide and Gold Coast. So we beat the Giants, we beat the Gold Coast and we beat West Coast the first time. Um, when we came from six goals down and that was still up for grabs late. But the West Coast loss recently, the, the Sydney loss the first time, the Adelaide loss, both Geelong losses and certainly the Port Adelaide loss, which I think was our worst of the season in terms of missed opportunities of, of all of them. So, and that's it. I mean, if you, if you get nine games in the balance, you win three and you lose six, then you're probably going to miss the finals. And that's what's happened, unfortunately. We just needed to win two more of them, go five and four. And that would have been enough. Um, clearly, the Adelaide game was the, the the most winnable in that we were in front with 48 seconds to go or something. But um, yeah, uh, it's also you could see that you could see that happening a mile you, away. Though. You could like we were just sitting ducks. Like it was just you were just waiting for the the, the kill shot really. But yeah, and and that's been that's why the season has been frustrating. It's why I call it a, a waste really. Like I mean, we've had some of. I mean, I could probably count four of the wins this year have been some of the most enjoyable wins I've, I've ever known. Like the, the Giants win in round one was a belter. The, the come from behind win over West Coast. The Richmond win at the MCG. The Brisbane win at Metricon. I haven't enjoyed home and away wins like that in a while. And you sit there and think you, could, you can play like that and produce highs like that, but but waste the year and miss the finals. Like it just shouldn't happen, really. Even the, um, even the footy we played in that first half against Geelong, the, yeah. the first game. Yeah, you know, if it wasn't for kicking for goal, like we played some sublime football that night. And there, there are times where I look at us and think whether we're up to it or not. But there are times where I look at it and I'm like, well, there's no way we should have missed the ace. No way. And that's where it's a, uh, I guess that's where it's frustrating. Yeah, I think you look at, at what we did last year, and then and then kind of those those fluctuations and the variation between our very best and our very worst is so big. And and when you've got that type of difference from your best to your worst, like like you say, you're not gonna you're probably not gonna play finals. But I think we've shown over the over the course of two seasons that our our best football is good enough to match it with anybody, regardless of whether it's Richmond, West Coast in Perth, Geelong here, Geelong there, Sydney in Sydney. It doesn't it almost doesn't matter. Port Adelaide in Adelaide, um, you know, our our best football can match it with anybody. But we have an issue though on that. In the in the tight finishes, I mentioned three and six this year, but you look at last year too. Even though we made the finals, we should have wrapped up that final spot mm. four weeks before the end. Agreed. So we, the North lost, the Frio lost, the Melbourne lost, the Brisbane lost, the West Coast lost. We nearly lost the elimination final from nowhere. So we've got to address what's happening in those tight games because if something like that happens that often then you've got a bit of an issue. So I would, I would say in the last two years, we're probably five and 10 in, in games that are mm. in the balance. Sounds about right. And I think it, it speaks yeah. to you know, issues with potentially leadership on the mm. ground, um, maybe some coaching and, and tactics in those moments and, and set plays and that sort of stuff. But yeah, there's, there's clearly clearly some issues that need to be addressed in, in that regard, H. Yeah, it's because it's probably something that wouldn't mind having a look at what the conversion rate is from... Lead, heart leading games at half time to actually winning them, or even from three quarter time because yeah, it's 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 been something that yeah. it has haunted us for a couple of years now. That and I mean, I even remember going back ten, well, 15, 20 years ago. It, it was a problem back then too. So it, 
something that it's it's, it's stuck around and it, it can happen to us a bit often. So just I don't it, it, I don't know if it's a mental thing or it's just something that I don't know. It, do we not get the rev up these other teams are getting at half time? Are we just like, oh no, yep, we've done the job. We just we just got to go back out there and make sure we hold on to the win. Or how they, I guess, attack that second half when we're winning a winning a match. It's yeah, it'd just be interesting to know what what it is that how they look at the game at that point. Do they say, oh, we're winning, just keep going what we're doing, or we've got to go out there like it's scores are level. It's, it'd be interesting to see what the mindset is at that point. And the frustrating part was obviously round one, severely depleted, came from behind, won a close game. You look like you ticked all the boxes. You're like great resilience, strength against a side that ended up having a pretty good year. Um, that was a really nice performance without either Ruckman. And then every time we were confronted with the same scenario, we sort of buggered it up. And it wasn't always the same way. I mean, we we, we, we lost to Geelong and Sydney because we didn't kick straight. Um, we lost to Adelaide because we completely stopped and got overrun. Um, we lost to Port Adelaide because, again, we got right back into the game and then made three or four really bad mistakes um, at both ends of the grounds. Um, the West Coast game we weren't too bad in. We are probably just a bit undermanned in, the, in that one. Um, and I'm trying to think what the other – the recent Geelong loss was probably the other one. And, yeah, that was probably neither of those things. We kicked okay. We just um, – probably just got slightly outgunned late with, with some of the better players on the ground and, and probably injuries didn't help us. So it's not always the same way that we lose. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd hate to think what our record is, even in the last seven years, leading games after half time, um, even to some degree. Like games are where you've been in front by less than 10 points after half time. I wonder how many of those we actually hang on and win. It wouldn't be many. Um unfortunately and and yeah as a result we're going to have to watch a final series um which i'm kind of sick of doing but we'll um yeah we'll uh we'll see but yeah it was um uh, i guess some of it i mean shaman's kicked two goals one for the third week in a row but um he was he was quite important again and we'll have to be this week uh, it was interesting your point on marshall h i agree I was, I was sort of watching the game and didn't notice that he was getting a bit of a touch up it was only sort of late that i'm like yeah, he hasn't been that good today. It sort of took me a while to realise what was sort of going on there and frustrating that it was Reece Stanley, who's nowhere near as good as Marshall, uh, doing it to him. So, But, yeah, there was enough positives, I thought, to, to come out of it. Um, some disappointing ones. Brad Hill was was average. He'd been all right of late, but was average. Um, I thought our small forwards, Higgins had been in good form, but he only had eight or nine touches and Butler struggled. So we just didn't have enough. I mean, if you looked at it and said, and we, we kicked, what was it, 10 or 11 goals for the game and Sharman, King and Membry contributed seven of those and King on one leg. We just didn't get enough four goals out of the rest of the group. Two of them from Crouch. <clears throat> yeah, nowhere near enough from um, from other contributors, sadly. Yeah, it was, it was, I think it feels like everything, everything sort of broke down when King went off. It, hmm. He was a focal point and he was winning his position. And that was making everything just roll smoothly. Then all of a sudden he's down, everything gets reshuffled, and it just all collapsed. And you sort of think, well, if he'd played out the game, we'd probably be saying telling a different story. Probably but the way the way he was playing, hmm. there was no way Henry was going to be beating him. That he, he was going to kick a bag on him. Hmm. It, it it had it written all over it, and. 
there, there was nothing he could do to stop him. It, it was as simple as that. He, Henry had nothing, no way to stop him. The only way that they were doing anything down there was you'd see that in the background, the another Geelong defender would be coming down and blocking him in a hole, like sort of moving him out of the way. And it was only then when our other small forwards were sort of a bit like, hey, we, let, let's get down there and help and actually try to get these players away from him. That was working as well. So we were, we were counteracting anything they threw at him. So him falling out of the game, it's probably one of the biggest losses we've had for the year when you look back at it. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And, and like we said before, I mean, he was dominant in those first 10 or 15 minutes and there was nothing that he, he couldn't mark. You know, he was kicking, kicking the ball beautifully. Um, but just on, on King, because I doubt we'll see him this week. You, you don't think... No, he's they ruled out. He's out. Eric's in this yeah. week. So um, has there been a better key forward since in, or in the second half of this season than, than Max King? I mean, we know yeah. how... We know that the, the flack that he copped in the first half, but, um, I mean, Harry Mackay is going to win the, the Coleman, you'd, you'd expect. Um, but he was ostensibly better in the first half of the season and has missed a few games in the second Correct. half. I can't yeah. think of someone who has clearly been a better key forward than Max King since about round 12 or 13. No, not in, not in the second half of the year because, I mean, obviously Cameron's been out injured and Hawkins hasn't been super in his absence. Um Buddy's been in and out. Um, Melbourne's forward setup's been a bit all over the place. I know Larky kicked seven in a game, but that was about it. Um, against Carlton. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, that's right. So, no, that, I think he's been excellent. And, um, yeah, that, that's one of the positives to take out of it is what it looks like for him. Um, and even that free kick that they gave away to him in the third quarter when he couldn't move just struck of them being spooked a bit by his presence. And, in the end, I don't know he was only on one leg, but that was a pretty big miss. Um, if we had a kick, that we would have gone 10 points up with three goals in two minutes. But, um, yeah, I, I was hoping that maybe he could have almost sort of said, well, I can't take the kick, I'll go off now. And then one of those little crafty round-the-body players like Butler or Higgins could have had that shot and, and slotted it through. But, um, yeah, no, he's been terrific. And it, it's hard to say. And then the pleasing thing is that his best six games have come against good teams. Mm. West Coast, Geelong, Brisbane, those sorts of matchups, Sydney. Um, yeah, he's played his best footy in those games, which is encouraging. Yeah, they'd probably he, he seemed to have broken apart some of the, I guess, better defensive teams when you sort of look at who he's taking all these contested yeah. marks against. It's, I mean, yes, they were missing Stewart, but he's not really going to be that player that's stopping. King no, Mark. that's right. He, his yeah. his marks are picking off kicks in four when the when the big forwards aren't there. So. Um, but, I mean, I Harris, Harris, Harris Andrews, Andrews, Harris yeah. Andrews, and Jacob McGovern, Wearing, yeah. McGovern, yeah, mm. Vlosten yep. and all, the, all these big names. Unit. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. it's not that he can't play against him. That, we know that for sure. And he's only going to get stronger. He's only going to, I guess, get better hands. He, he's going to give some forwards some, back, some backman nightmares in the years come. Oh, he is, he is. We'll look towards um, Freo, who we haven't played since that Metricon nightmare of, of last year. We, we've probably yeah. played 35 games since we last met them. But um, uh, we'll be joined by Dean Rice shortly. And as we said, we'll do a full post-mortem. We already know at, at the time of recording this that Jake Carlisle won't be offered a new contract, that Sean McKernan has retired, um, that there's still speculation around the future of Ross, Dunstan and Billings. Frawley's another one up in the air, Geary up in the air. 
those sorts of things. So that, that's all that we'll, we'll deal with that once the, the final ball has been kicked next week. So there's a, a, a shitload of stuff that we can get through in that regard. But um, the the votes, I thought it was in the end, unfortunately, a bit easier than we would have hoped. I thought Dougal Howard was okay. I thought his, his comeback was good. I thought he was struggling before he went out of the side. So I thought that was a pleasing enough return, even though the Geelong key forwards were okay. Um, I thought that um, a couple of guys like Jones gave us a bit of run and carry, but I gave a vote to Sinclair for his superior ball use to everybody else on the ground. I gave two votes to Brad Crouch. I thought he really lifted us after half time. 24 touches and two goals. Um, important goals too. And, and Jack Steele, even though he, he had 21 in the first half and nine in the second, he was still our best player. Uh, our most consistent player over the course of the game. Should have got a free kick just before three-quarter time when Geelong kicked that goal to hit the front when Tom Hawkins just beelined him and put his knee straight through him. Um, also, he got cleaned up a couple of times by Dangerfield and should have got free kicks for that as well. But in the end, um, he was still our best player. And I think if he gets eight, if he lays eight tackles on the weekend, he's got the most tackles ever recorded by a player in a season. So um, probably deserves that honour. H, where did you sort of see it? Well, he deserves a week off, to be honest. But um, <laughs> not uh, getting one. Yeah, no, very, very, well, almost the same as what you've gone mm-hmm. with. Um, probably, probably an apology to Max King for no yeah. votes. I mean, if he plays the entire game, that's a two-three vote game. Um, he keeps on that same track that he was on before he went off. So, yeah, it, that was a game he deserved to pick up some votes, I think. But yeah, unfortunately, you only play about half a game. You're not going to get him. Um, I actually went one for Crouch, um, as for every reason you've just said there. Exact, um, yeah, gave us a bit and yeah, popped up at forward line, kicked two goals, and he he, he did his job. Um, two to Sinclair. I saw how much we missed him the other week. That that the gap he left a couple of weeks ago. When you look at it and they go, the job that he's doing, the role he is playing, the way he uses the football. He's got to be our best field kick in the team, by far. Mm. It's he. He just has poise. He just has. It feels like he has time to decide. Okay, yep, that's who I'm kicking it to, and he kicks it. And he hits the target. It, the, the position he has made himself and basically forced rats to play him there. He has made his position and made himself basically unable to be removed from our best 22 there is well from the best 18 even he he is not going to be dropped anytime soon if he keeps on that same path i mean it was it was on that path a few years ago dropped off a bit but he's definitely found that again and he is going to be one of the keys to us coming back next year and being competitive again so um yeah really hope to see him get up and get plenty more votes next year and yeah three jack steel that's it's simply in the book, and that's that's as easy as easy as I can say. There's nothing else to do, add to it. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I mean, I've given, um, I guess, apologies to both Max King and Brad Crouch, but for the reasons that you've both both given, I think the impact that Max King had in his time on the field was immense. And if he hadn't been injured, I think you know the the potential for us to win that game is incredibly high, um, for or at least. Yeah, a lot of the game to go to go differently. Um, Crouch again, a really workmanlike effort. 
um, was strong in the middle and, and gave us something, especially in that third quarter, I thought, when um, when we were struggling to get back into the game. He kept, he kept working hard. But I gave one vote to Tim Embry. Um, he didn't have a lot of the ball. It's only 10 or 11 touches, but six score involvements and three goals was really handy for us up forward and, and gave us a, a really strong target, especially when when King was off or, or hampered at least. But he also had two intercepts um, across half back when, when things were not going our way and, and his ability when he's on and he's, he's very, he's got a really good um, footy IQ. I think Tim Embry doesn't always strike you as the, the smartest bloke out in the field, but I think the way that he reads the game and, and understands how things are going when, when he's on and he, he, he's understanding kind of how the ball's moving and, and where it's going, his ability to drift back and, and impact um, across halfback in contested situations has been really important for us in moments this year. And there's been, there was a three or four week period kind of in the second half of this year where he just kind of lost that a little bit mm-hmm. and he wasn't doing it as much. And, and I think that that really impacted our ability to rebound when it, when opposition got on a run. Um, and I think that he was kind of back to his best in, in that regard this game. So I gave him one vote. I gave two votes, I think probably for the first time all year, two votes to Jack Steele. Um, I thought his first half, was elite and then at halftime they obviously put some work into him and not not to discredit Steele, i think you know he worked as hard as he always does and still end up with 30 touches five marks five tackles and and you know, nearly a, a a dozen clearances 10 clearances or whatever it was so you know another amazing effort from jack Steele, who just has elevated himself into the top echelon of midfielders in the competition and this is his award, as we know, it's the Jack Steele MVP award. Um, but three votes to Jack Sinclair. I think, like you said, H, he's kind of really lifted his game to where he is in our top two or three players most weeks, and he's in our top two or three players on the list at the moment. There, You mentioned a couple of years ago, I think he was St Kilda's only player rated elite by champion data, and I think we all kind of went, hang on, what's going on here? This doesn't, this doesn't really make sense. He had a good year, but it wasn't necessarily a great year, but he's had a great year this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what is what is changed about his game is that he's not purely an outside player anymore. We know he's a he's a halfback flanker, he's a wingman, ostensibly, but yeah, he also wins a bit of contested ball. He puts his head over the ball. He hits the contest hard. He's bulked up. He's stronger and more powerful, but his ball use is amazing. Uh, he impacts all different parts of the ground, whether it's off halfback, whether it's through the middle. You know, we saw some of those kicks in, into forward fifty um, on the weekend. Just you know, sublime skills, and, and I don't think we've got anyone else on the lift that on the, on the list that can kick the ball around the field like he can at the moment. And and he just looks like he's floating on air the way that he he covers the ground. And uh, you had know, twenty touches at eighty three percent, six marks, six score involvements, and seven intercepts across halfback as well. I just thought he was he was our most influential player across all four quarters, um, and you know was nearly in the second half the driving factor to us getting close. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Shannon Knoll, I guess, won last one of those for the year. A guy that should be as good a kick, I thought about giving it to him. I mean, Brad Hill just for a couple of lazy touches, but I think he's been all right in the last or second half of the year since going to halfback. Um, he was poor on the weekend, but... Overall, I think he's been okay. I gave it to Butler last week and could easily have done it again. There was nothing that came out of that to change that situation. But um, we're going to give it to Seb Ross, actually. He's been one of his bigger defenders. Um, and I think he's been a very good player. 
for us. It is conceivable that this is the last time he'll ever play for us. That's a possibility, certainly. Um, I kind of hope that's not the case, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of people disagree with that. But I just think he's been – I made the observation when we beat Sydney that he looked a yard off the pace of everyone else. We were playing a really slick, sharp brand of footy and he looked like the guy that wasn't quite at the same level, like he was playing a slightly different game. And certainly against Geelong, I thought that was the case again when it, when it was pretty hot at stages in the game. He was caught a few times. He mistimed a couple of bounces, a couple of poor handballs at players' feet. And he's a better player than that. And um, I think, yeah, if it is, if he does go out here, it's unfortunate. He certainly deserves a, a better finish than that. And I hope he does put his hand up and say, look, this is still the place I want to be. And I'll be BOG this weekend to sort of prove that point. So, um, yeah, Nick Shevros gets mine. Yeah, interesting call. And I think he's he's kind of been around that mark over the, the last probably month, I guess. But, um, yeah, I, look, I, I found it really hard this week because there were a few guys. You mentioned Hill. And, and I thought over the last kind of six to eight weeks, Brad Hill's been pretty good. Mm. We know that he has, you know, one or two brain farts every game and he, and he lowers the eyes and he, he goes for little 10 or 15-metre dinky dunk kicks that – generally miss a target and give up a goal. But I thought in general, he's been pretty good. This is probably his worst game for a while. But yeah, I mean, I, I find it really hard to go past Dan Butler this week. Um, you know, when, when the, the chips are down and, and you need some forward pressure, you know, we, we know that in the second half, we, we found it really tough going, moving the ball forward and, and getting those inside 50s. You touched on some of those numbers earlier, Parco. But um, when we did get it in there, it, it almost came out just as quickly. And you know, you, you kind of rely on guys like Butler and, and Higgins to put some of that pressure on. Uh, and, and I feel like he just lost that. And, and we know that he hasn't had his best year. We know that offensively he hasn't had his best year by a long way. But we do know that at the very least, he's been putting some pressure on, especially I think in the second half of this mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. He's been better in that regard. But, you know, this this week he had two tackles for the game. Yeah. Uh, he had zero goal assists. He had nine touches and seven of them were uncontested. Uh, I just thought that his work rate and effort, all, all those kind of energy things and and impact and pressure rating and all that sort of stuff that, that you need from him in, in tough games and hard games, especially when it's a bit of a slog and you lose some players with injury. Yeah, I just thought that he didn't he didn't give it his best shot and um he gets my uh my uh Shannon Noll this week. And it might be a little harsh because he's yeah, been one of our keys this year. I mean you you we sort of look back at this year and look, go, where, where, where did we win most of our games? And it was our ruck department, but mm-hmm. yeah, the way Rowan was beaten on the weekend by, um, uh, what's his name? Sorry. The, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He's the way he's been beaten by him on the weekend where he's, he's basically their third string ruckman when you look at it. And Rowan's should be getting up to the point yeah. where, He's number one for us, taking over the reins from Paddy when he decides to move on. So it's, I don't know if there was a little bit of injury or something niggling him getting towards the end of the season or something, but yeah, he, just, he definitely wasn't on it. And as I said, it was even worse when I looked at the stats after and thought, mm. hang on, it wasn't that bad, was it? So He, he didn't yeah, seem I, to cover the ground as well as, as, yeah. well as no, we've no. used to him. And even being outpointed, you know, I think Stanley took that mark, that kind of contested mark in the top of the golf right. square or whatever it was. Yeah. And um, it's just really unusual for, for Marshall to get outpointed in that type of contest, especially by, I mean, he's a far, far superior player to Reece Stanley. Um, yes, but yes. You, you're right, H. I think Stanley just 
just got him. And unfortunately, yeah, um, yeah um, we took the risk of playing the one ruckman, and that's the risk you take. I guess you, you hope that that one ruckman dominates for you, but if he doesn't, then you uh, you can be in a bit of trouble. And, and unfortunately, we were. We saw the week before when he destroyed Hickey. It didn't quite go that, that way for us, unfortunately. But uh, we'll hear now from a, a guy that a very good career with the Saints, kicked some tremendous goals, gave some great run and carry before finishing off winning a flag with Carlton, but he did leave a legacy with his son coming back to join our club not long after his career finished. And I speak of Dean Rice. McAdam will look for Rice. Rice has got enormous pace. He should get to this mark. He does so. And Steadings and will go back and take his kick. Rice has kicked three. Nearly his best haul in his league career. This to break the deadlock. Good effort. A goal. His kick to half forward. Rice again. We've seen a couple of great marks today and that was fantastic there by Dean Rice. A tremendous quarter. Well, Dean Rice is our latest guest on Unplugged. Plenty of players that we've spoken to on this podcast or across the journey have made the transition from Carlton to St Kilda, but there are only a handful that went the other way. Certainly in the 80s, it was famous for St Kilda picking up a lot of ex-Carlton players, but the likes of Dean Rice and Matthew Lappin moved on from St Kilda and had successful careers at Carlton as well. But he played 234 games and basically 50-50, 116 with the Saints, and 118 with the Blues, which included a premiership in 1995, was a part of a St Kilda team that charged to the finals in 91. Dean Rice, thank you very much for your time. No worries, guys. Now, your journey started at a very similar time at St Kilda to a lot of great players. Your, your, your first year was, was 87 in terms of playing senior footy. That would be... Nathan Burke's first year, Stuart Lowe's second year, uh, Robert Harvey would debut the year after, Nicky Winmar started at the club, Plugger would win at Brownlow. Uh, exciting time to come to the club, obviously with a club legend in Daryl Bulldog at the helm as well. Yeah, no, it was, um, it was a long time ago. <laughs> it's hard to get the memories up. But yeah, no, it was. It was a, a time, when I, I guess, in St Kilda, um, years prior, we were, were struggling. I think they won a lot of wooden spoons in a row. and. Um, um, I know that at the time I went there, they were pretty desperate for some success. And uh, they brought Daryl Bordock over from Tasmania to try and get that success. And, um, yeah, the coming years they recruited pretty well. And um, I actually remember the first game. Nicky Wimmer played the same first game for us. It was, uh, it was round one, 1987, so a long time ago. Dean, what was your, I guess, your youth footy like growing up, because your your uncle played and captained Geelong, yeah. Um, and so you had had kind of VFL footy was in your blood. Uh, were you a Geelong fan growing up, and and what was that pathway like for you getting to St Kilda? No, I actually back to St Kilda as a uh, as a kid. So um, <laughs> uh, my grandfather on my mum's side was a, a big St Kilda fan, and he he got me back for St Kilda when I was young. Um, a lot of my junior footy was with my school because I went to Salesian College in, in Chadson. Um, I started my juniors at a, a club called Essex Heights, which used to be a, a link to Richmond because that was Richmond's zone back in those days. But um, my teenage years, I played on my junior footy with the school. Um, from there, I played one year of senior footy 
as a 16-year-old with my brother up at Longwood in the Benalla and District Football League. My brother was in the army and he coached them and convinced uh, convinced my dad at the time because I was doing my HSC to go up there and play that year with uh, with Longwood and we actually won the premiership. From there, I, I went down to Geelong because of those links with my uncle to play one year in under-19s and reserves in 1986 and, um, and lived with Gary Hocking in those days down in Geelong. Um, which was interesting days. Uh, we got to, got to do a bit of mischief down there, and they, they decided at the end of that year to try and split us up and let me go and kept Gary Hocking, and I ended up going to St Kilda in '87. So, being a St Kilda fan, did you get to many games at Moorabbin growing up? And then, how, how was that transition going from being in the stands to going out in the field and going, "Oh, hey, I'm out of here now." How, this, how was that feeling from there? Yeah, oh, my dad was a journalist. So my dad actually worked for the Sporting Globe and the, the Sunday Press and um, all those papers in the old days. And so um, he covered football. He's a, a football journalist. So I used to go to the football with him wherever he went and he'd get the odd St Kilda game, which was at Moorabbin. And um, he was was a little bit concerned at times because he had to be in the press the press box and um, didn't like leaving me out my own at, at St Kilda, that's for sure. And um, now that, I remember the day, even though St Kilda from when I was growing up um, weren't that successful. So um, um, I remember the, the Trevor Barkers and, and those sort of players who were playing before I joined St Kilda. And when I did join St Kilda, it was, it was definitely a highlight to, to actually even train with those sort of guys when I broke from now, as you say, St Kilda had won four wooden spoons in a row. You've come in, you, you played 20 games in your first year, including 18 in a row to finish the season. St Kilda won five in a row and got on a great run late that year, a run they hadn't gone on for a while. Uh, there are plenty of great highlights at Moorabbin historically, but Plugger kicking his 100th goal in 87 would have certainly been one of them. And you were on the ground playing in that game against Footscray. Can you sort of take us through what that was like? The club had a bit of momentum at Moorabbin and Plugger's obviously going ballistic that day. Yeah, um, the memory I have of that day, obviously, it was a, um, I think it was a pretty good game, so it was pretty close all day, and um, we ended up winning the game, but but Plugger kicking his 100th goal, and I remember standing out in the, in the ground, that's when people come streaming onto the ground, I remember <laughs> one of the uh, Footscray supporters bumped a few of us on the way past just to try and get us uh, fired up a bit. I remember that when they actually ran out, but um, but it was pretty spectacular to be on the ground when when someone actually kicks their 100th goal in an AFL game. So um, it's a, a, definitely a highlight of my career watching that. Now, we know the parties sort of happened down there in Moorabbin a fair bit during the 80s and that sort of thing, and then Plugger goes and wins the Brownlow. Was how did Moorabbin go after that, or was it not? Did nothing really happen down there afterwards, or did you see a few interesting things happening after with celebrations? Um, not specifically with Plugger winning the Brownlow because um, we didn't play finals, so a lot of the guys dispersed when the when the Brownlow was on, so they'd they'd be travelling all all over the place. But but I remember when you win games down at Moorabbin in those early days that. Um, and probably you know, a cultural thing and, and, and probably hampered us, hampered us in the end that you win a game, it was like winning a premiership. So you go up to such a club after the game and 
you know, if you're one of the better players that would get a, a vote, they'd, they'd get you up on the stage in front of the crowd and announce you. And, you know, it was like trying to, um, um, you couldn't get in. You had to go around the back. It was just so packed um, after a win. And they'd be celebrating all day, all night, all Sunday, all Monday. <laughs> and by the time the game come around, we're sort of, you know, we're still celebrating the game that we won yeah, previously. <laughs> Just on on plugger, I guess. I mean, you you were a pretty kind of powerful wingman. I, I remember you kind of streaming up and down the wing, but you would have kicked a fair few, um, I guess, goal assists to to the big boy in the in the goal square. What what was he like to play with? Yeah, well, he was probably the most um, influential player that I ever played footy with. Um, you know, he 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 was the sort of player that could win a game of football and. You don't really have those players anymore. Where where you know it's more of a, a team, a team thing. Where back in those days, you just put it up the plugger, and, and you know you, you count on plugger kicking 10, 12 every week. Um, it's funny you actually mentioned that because I got two younger boys. I got three boys. Um, um, two of them are fairly still pretty young. They're ten and thirteen, and and they pulled out the uh, the videos the other week on on YouTube and. We're watching some of them, and I, I was commenting to them that, that you know, Plugger kicked a, uh, over a thousand goals, and you know, the amount of times I kicked them, I reckon I helped him with about five hundred of them. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, um, I was actually watching a game on YouTube uh, earlier today from '91 against Brisbane. I think he kicked five points that day. Plugger kicked ten goals, but '91. Um, uh, so you only missed five games over about five years. You were basically instantly established in that that best twenty-two. That the side gradually built, and when Ken Sheldon took over, they showed some promise in in nineteen ninety. But '91, you played a fair bit of footy forward early in the year. Obviously, when Plugger was out, you kicked five in round one against Richmond. Uh, that transition, you, you sort of played a pretty important role. I think it was you, Russell Morris, and, and Stuart Lowe that sort of carried the forward line in Plugger's absence. Yeah, uh, I can't remember why Plugger wasn't playing, but he was either he was back in a practice game against West oh, Coast at Waverley. Did he? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, so my role changed from from the wing to go forward. I think I was changing on the ball too at the time with Danny Craven. Um. Yeah, so that year, predominantly, that's the way I played, and then, then I think Plugger come came back on the side in the later rounds, sort of eight or nine or something like that. Um, uh, and I think I, I probably kicked twenty, thirty goals that year. Um, probably one of the the years that I I I, um, I kicked my most goals in my whole career. So, um, so yeah, it was an interesting time, especially. Without Plugger, but when Plugger come back, it was just sort of get out of the way and let Plugger do all the work. As um as Darren said, I guess by then you'd kind of established yourself as a really key member of the team, and and that kind of happened straight away. Did you envisage that that happening so quickly? Because I think it was by eighty nine ninety you were kind of already in in state, you know, in, in rep team conversation and, and and playing for Victoria. So how how did you see that transition from you being a young kid to all of a sudden being a you know maybe not a walk-up start, but really being a, a key member of, of the senior squad. Yeah, just back in those days, you just, you know, you're playing the game because you love it and you're passionate about it and, you know, you want team success and um, you never really thought about yourself all that much. You just, you know, went out and did the job and, and you know, you believed in what you could do and I guess that's that's confidence in, in, in yourself and your abilities and, 
and you, you never really think about, you know, should I be here or shouldn't I be here? You just, you know, you're just there doing a job and, and hopefully your team has success. Sheldon was the coach around about that time of another St Kilda Carlton crossover there and had a little bit of a running with another St Kilda Carlton crossover in Craig Davenport at one point. Did, did you have any situations where he sort of pulled you over and had a bit of a chat or a bit of motivation, I guess, to then go out and do something that yeah, turned a game or just, just gave, yeah. I guess, I'd, a bit, a bit of a motive. Yeah. yeah, I had a few run-ins with Kenny. Um, yeah, Kenny, Kenny was interesting. Um, he uh, he obviously got the best out of, out of players, um, uh, on most players anyway. He had an interesting way of going about it. Yeah, it was always going to be tough for Kenny because he transitioned from a player to a coach straight away. Um, so a lot of players that he was coaching were actually players he played with. And I think to um, to get players' respect, I think he went at times over the top um, and in the end was one of the catalysts why I left St Kilda. You, you say that he's one of the catalysts of, of why he left St Kilda, but what was the, that period like? What was the the change from, I guess, that late 80s to the 91 season when all of a sudden things started to to fall into place and come together and, and all of a sudden for the first time in Donkey's years we're playing finals footy. What was what was the change? Oh, I guess we had a pretty talented side. Um, <laughs> um, there were some you know, players that played around that era to become legends of the, of the footy club. Um, but but to, to Ken's credit too, you know, you've got to take your hat off to him that he really challenged the players and he pushed the players and, and he probably didn't find that happy medium where, you know, you you challenge players and and, and you, know, you push them, but at the same time you've got to you've got to get their respect and um, and get to understand them too, or who they are, because everyone's not the same. And uh, I think he he just pushed them a bit too far, and I guess that's why in the end, when you know he had a lot of success for for St Kilda, which hadn't had much success to the next year being being sacked as a coach, um, because I think he, he lost the players by the way he went about it. He played 105 games in five years and then played 11 in the next three, obviously, as a result of, of significant injuries. Can you sort of take us through that end of 91 into 92 and, and obviously how that came, unfortunately, unstuck physically? Yeah, so um, to the start of 92, in a pre-season game against Geelong and against the guy that I used to live with, Gary Hocking, he, um, he went to smother the ball and, and come across my knee and... Um, yeah, so I did, did my knee at the start of 92, so missed the whole of 92 and then came back in, in 93. Um, you know, I probably, I probably didn't come back in, in the show. No, I, I worked pretty hard. It was, it was always tough because I, I'd never ever, as you, as you mentioned a few times, I, I played 105 games straight, um, for St Kilda and, um, um, hadn't missed many much footy, and then to miss a whole year and to get back to play in '93, it was it was always challenging to to get to the right the right shape. And um, then '93 come around, I was in and out of the side, um, and then you know I had a bit of running with Kenny and on the training track, um, which you know 
was unfortunate and uh, it didn't turn out too well for me and uh, we had a few words and and um, after that I never played a senior game for St Kilda again. So. so was your mind made up at that point? I mean, Ken Sheldon would be sacked at the end of that very season. So was there any time for you to almost sort of say, well, he's gone, so I might stay? Or was it all made up well and truly before that point? And, and there was no, 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 no. Once Kenny moved on, I was pretty committed to um, to the club. Stan took over. Um, Stan was actually the fitness coach for St Kilda prior to him getting getting the senior job. He, so he worked under Ken for a couple of years. So he knew the circumstances and what happened with, with Ken. And, um, and I remember... At the start of '94 preseason, it was the end of my contract, and and St Kilda wouldn't wouldn't sign me up. Um, I guess they had some concerns about my knee, and and '93 you know, wasn't a fantastic year. Um, and I said to them, "Well, you know, if you're not going to sign me on a contract, how do you expect me to do a, a preseason? And you know, if I get injured, I'm not covered or anything like that." And so I stood out of training for for a couple of weeks, and uh, my manager at the time ended up. Signing, getting signed an injury indemnity form, which um, you know, which is obviously not around anymore. But but that just covered me from from if I did get injured, that I'd be covered under a contract of some some shape or form. And and unfortunately, the um, the start of '94 in a preseason game when Sam was coaching, I got injured in a um, a practice match down at uh, Warnerboard at Croyd against Essendon, and um, I hurt my good knee in a um, in a, in, a, in an accident. At the time, it was you know, pretty upsetting, and um, I thought I'd you know, I'd be be gone again for the whole year. I thought I'd done my, I did my other knee, and but I got the news that um, that I'd only be out for six to eight weeks, and um, I guess St Kilda in the end, and Stan, you know, used that as a reason to to tell me that we no longer wanted you anymore, and we're letting you go. I guess before before we touch on. Um... I guess your, your time at Carlton and, and how that panned out. Uh, it'd probably be remiss of us not to talk on uh, the 91 final series. I mean, for, like we said before, it's kind of the first time in forever that the Saints had played finals. And um, I mean, for you as, as a St Kilda supporter growing up, what was that experience like? And I guess specifically, you know, I'd like to, to hear your memories of that, that 91 elimination final against Geelong. Yeah, no, it was, it was massive. Um, I remember training, the training session leading up to it. Like there would have been a couple of thousand people at training watching. Um, you know, St Kilda had been starved success, so there was a lot of buzz, a lot of enthusiasm around the club. Um, you know, we had a fairly successful year. I think we finished fourth out of six teams, and you know, the system that was set up back in those days was third played fourth, and the loser went straight out. Um, but the winner was a huge, a huge carrot because they got to play in the second semi the next week. <clears> so it was there, it was all nothing. And um, I remember running out at Waverley, and you know, it was a packed crowd. And St Kilda hadn't played in too many front of too many packed crowds, um, so it was electric. It was it was exciting, and uh, we were five goals up at half time, and looking like we were. We're going to um, to beat Geelong, and um, you know, in the end, it, it didn't quite happen. I remember 
with about two or three minutes to go that that I had the last shot for goal. I was running into in front of an open goal. I actually missed, put a seven points down. If I kicked it, we would have been two points down with with two or three minutes to go. So now that sticks with me for, I'll keep bringing that up a few times. But that was unfortunate because if we'd beaten Geelong at that, we would have played in the second semi against Hawthorne and we'd beaten Hawthorne earlier in the year. And, um, you know, you, you sort of have woods over, over teams. You play well against teams and, you know, Geelong we hadn't beaten and, and Hawthorne we had. So, you know, you look back on now, if we won that game, we we probably would have gone close to, to playing in a grand final or even going close to winning it. So, um, with the players that we had in our team. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. It was the worst final system probably ever created that final six and it only lasted a few years. But you're a little hard on yourself. I remember the shot. You say open goal, you were 51 metres out. Um, <laughs> so that, a, little, a little harsh, but, um, but hey, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're up. Uh, I was going to also say we had a, I think a bit of the wood over the West Coast at that point as well. So that was a, yeah, it would have been nice to have come up against them too. Yeah. But your time at the club, is there, is there anyone you would say that you sort of gravitated to and they had a, fair influence on the time you were at the club and you, you sort of looked up, looked at and went, yeah, I want to sort of stick to them and be like, take everything off of my can. Yeah. Um, not, not necessarily that, you know, that I thought, you know, I've got to follow. I was pretty, pretty blase about the way I went. I just, I just played. You know, I, I never really thought, I just thought, you know, that I belonged. I, um, uh, as I said, you have your self-confidence, but you know the players that that you were close to. You know, I was pretty close with Dean Gregg. Um, I remember Lawrence Bingham at the time. I was pretty close with Plugger because because I, I grew up. I, I didn't grow up, but I was living in in Dever Hills at the time um, with my partner at that time, and um, I remember uh, Plugger was living in Dever Meadows or Cranbourne, and we used to travel to training together all the time, and travel to games when we played in the state we would drive to the airport so he he had a big influence on on you know on me too and um um but there's no one I really actually you know looked at him and thought oh you know I need to be like that type of player so 94 we don't talk about Carlton too much on the pod but we'll touch on him a little bit but um obviously 94 you you're at Carlton you do the knee again take us through that and then obviously returning in 95 and winning a flag I guess that full circle where it's I guess you're probably facing career mortality when you do a knee for the second time and then you come back and win a premiership. Can you, I guess, take us through that resolution? Yeah. Um, so I ended up leaving St Kilda start of 94. Back in those days, they had a, a, um, a pre-season draft, which was held in the end of February and March. So for all of those delisted players, that did get listed, had an opportunity to be drafted into um, into another club, and I was picked up by Carlton. Um, I ended up playing um, my first game for Carlton. I can't remember round five, round six uh, against Richmond at the uh, at the MCG. Um, I was going all right at the time. Again, someone fell across my knee, um, and I knew straight away that I did it because you know, I experienced it before and I remember sitting on the bench uh, it was just before half time thinking yep yeah, that's it it's all over two knees not too many people have come back from two knees back in those days 
Um, but but Carlton were fantastic to me and David Park and um, I remember he come out to me and said, "Look, you know, you're going to get every opportunity to 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 um to get yourself up." Lucky I was playing right at the time. I think that helped me to to survive and and give me another opportunity. And you know, that was all the motivation I needed was um, that someone would believe in me and give me that opportunity because I'd been through it two years prior. I knew exactly what I needed to do and and what I what I should do and what I, what I shouldn't do. And um, um, got myself pretty fit and. You know, um, ended up playing the Premiership in '95, which um, you know you look back thinking you know, all the injuries that you had '92 and '94, and that probably led you to an up in the door for, for winning a Premiership in '95. So, so there's always a positive out of out of a negative. I, I guess outside of the uh, the obvious in winning a flag at, at Carlton, but what were the major differences that you found at Carlton compared to your your previous time at, at St Kilda? Yeah, I guess it was just culture. You know, we talked earlier about St Kilda and, you know, you win a game and you'd be celebrating for a while. Whereas at Carlton, I remember it sticks in my mind how the different cultures was um, the start of 94 when I first came to the club. It was in March and, you know, they held a jumper presentation at the end of March to to all the players. And I remember John Elliott getting up in front of the whole whole club, big crowd, you know, all their, all their sponsors, all their supporters and, and just lambasting the whole club about finishing second the year prior when they got beaten by Essendon in '93, and um, just just telling everyone that second's not good enough. If, if you're not up to it, we will we'll, we'll let you go. We'll get people that want to be around the club and want to want to play. And I was just thinking at the time that you know if St Kilda had finished second, um, they'd probably celebrate that for the next ten years, not get up in front and just. You know, say say to the club that's not good enough, and that was the difference between a, a winning culture and and what the, the culture that St Kilda had. And I guess to a point, Carlton's probably lost that now over the years, where you know they've um, their culture is not the same as it was back then. But that was the difference in those days between Carlton and St Kilda. Move forward a few years, and your son's coming up for draft. Um, yeah, he had the choice between both. Carlton and St Kilda and it, it it was sort of no one knew which way he was going to go with. Did you have much influence over where he decided to go or you just basically said to him, no, your, your decision, you can completely do take whatever you want or or did he come to you for any advice of what he should do? Yeah, we, we talked about it. Um, now, mine, because he's a Carlton supporter as a kid, obviously, because that's all he remembers. Um uh, I was at Carlton when he was born, and um, and my impression was that he was always going to Carlton. Um, he did a father and son program at Carlton, um, but St Kilda, to their credit, at the time with um, with Alan Richardson and um, Tony Elshaw, who was the, the recruiting guy, they did a fantastic um, effort in 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 convincing. Bali that St Kilda was the club to go to because they they were always there they they looked after him they um they got him into to do work experience at the club they um they you know Alan Richardson would would offer Bali that because you know, Bali was paying TSC at the time with the Stingrays that you know come in we'll have a look at your video and we'll go through it and you know, they sold a great package to to Bali and. Um, whereas Carlton were always interested and, you know, Soss was the recruiting guy at the time. And I had a relationship with Soss and 
you know, I, I think in the end it was Bailey's decision. I remember him ringing me from the uh, from the draft camp and and just saying I've made my decision. I thought, well, hang on, mate, we really haven't talked about it. And he decided then that St Kilda was the club and and you know, he felt comfortable there. It was close to the home. You know, if he had to go to Carlton, he probably would have had to leave home and 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 live with someone or or be in a house or whatever it was. Whereas the St Kilda, could, you know, it was just down the road. It wasn't too far away. And, you could go there, and that's why he chose St Kilda. So Bailey spent a couple of years at, at the club, um, and is now over in the states playing a different type of football. Can you, you tell us about his his time in the states and what he's up to now? Yeah, he got um, he left in two thousand nineteen. He um, was pretty disillusioned with footy at the time, um, and, and there were a number of reasons for that, and I won't go into too much about that, but. Um, Bailey decided to um, to you know go down the line. He always had a passion for for American sports. You know, he'd been over to America a few times as you know 14, 15, 16 year old um, before the AFL. Then when he was when he was um, you know going away with a few Saints players, he'd go to America with them and um, just decided that. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go and punt and get into a university. He had a relationship with Aaron Sipos, an ex St Kilda player, who was at Auburn University. When he went over with uh, Rowan Marshall on a um, on a footy trip, he uh, he stayed with Aaron Sipos for a, for a week there and and experienced what their lifestyle was and what Aaron was doing, and um, decided that's what he wanted to do. And um, he joined up with a, a company called the Punt Factory. Um, the coach of that program, I actually coached as a uh, as a player when I was coaching local footy after I left AFL. Um, so I had a relationship. He's actually, you know, the the talent manager for the Oakley Chargers too at the same time, Jai Bond. Um, so he, he went down that ride, did a did a six months program with them, and then um, to Bailey's credit, he worked pretty hard and got a full scholarship to a um, to North Carolina University in in America and. He went over the uh, the start of this year in January, and he's been there for eight months now, seven months. And the final question before we let you go is a, a two-parter, and I appreciate your time. I guess one, um, what's your relationship, I guess, across with both sides now? Do you watch a, a fair bit of, sort of St Kilda and Carlton? Obviously, it sounds like the, the breakdown between the, your relationship with St Kilda wasn't great, but have you sort of come back around to, to the point where there's still a place for them in your, your heart alongside Carlton. I guess the second part before we let you go, I know you played State of Origin in the early 90s. I think you would have been playing in the game in WA, the famous Ted Whitten stuck it right up and game. Uh, I guess what that experience was was like being a part of Ted Whitten's Victoria. Yeah, I'll talk about the um, the Victorian thing. Um, that actually, that, that when, he, when he mentioned that was against South Australia. Um, at, at footy footy park, and yeah. uh, I didn't actually play that game. I was actually in the coach's box for that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Danny Foley and I were in the coach's box. We didn't make the the final cut, so they got us to sit in the coach's box. And Billy Goggin was the the coach at the time. And um, um, Teddy was was a fantastic character. And I knew Teddy because through my dad, who was a journalist, they they had a relationship. Um, but uh, it was it was something that that. I love doing anyway, representing the state and being involved with that, and you know, that was the next level up for, from from uh, from AFL footy or VFL footy back in those days. That you know, you're playing against the best players in 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 Australia, and uh, that was 
it was a great experience. I played three games for Victoria, or two games, and and that game there that that I sat in the coach's box, and that'll stick me stick with me forever. That was a great experience for me. Um, in regards to AFL footy, I don't really watch it much anymore. Um, I've got both both teams. I've got it in my heart. I've got there's no, there's no you know, things happen in footy across your, your career and you, know, you take the, the goods with the bads and you know, St Kilda were, were fantastic when I was there and they were fantastic to Bali when, when Bali was there and you know, there are things that happen across the journey you know, that it just that, that happens and, and you, you deal with them, you don't, you don't think about it, you don't hold any grudges or anything like that, it's just part of what, what the actual um, you know, the environment is and, and, the, and the, the culture and, and whatever it is within, within AFL football um, I don't watch AFL football at the moment because I don't think it's you know it's not a, not that attractive to watch. You know, what I mean, I'm not saying that you know the players that play today are really athletic and you know they 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 um um they're better skilled than than we were as players. But I just don't think the game is, is as attractive to watch as it was when when I was playing and uh, probably changed over the last ten to fifteen years. So. I got two younger boys. One's thirteen, one's ten. Um, my thirteen-year-old, he loves his footy. You know, he um, he wants to play AFL footy. So I guess you know, my my love of football is what's watching them and and just being involved locally. So if they go on to to, to do anything from that level, then then I'll get back into it and be passionate about it again. But but I don't really I don't really watch much AFL footy at the moment. Well, have had two major knee recos and to have played 230 games and won a flag and, and represented your state's a super effort. And, and we appreciate your uh, your contribution, not just you, but obviously the Rice family with the son representing the club as well. So appreciate your time and uh, good luck with everything going forward. Thanks, guys. Dean Rice there. We wrap our season up this week against Fremantle at Hobart at quarter past 12 on Sunday. Fremantle will be playing for a spot in the eight. They will still be alive because Essendon will still be to play. That game will be after that. So we will play a desperate Fremantle. Uh, it's not going to be a genuine dead rubber, even though it is for us, unfortunately. So Max King already ruled out, which was always going to happen. They, they took the risk last week with the groin because he went down with that same circumstance. You're not going to play him uh, with, with nothing on the line, knowing what happened there. Um, Jack Billings has also ruled out he won't return this week, meaning that his season has finished. And now I'll watch this space on him. Uh, and Dara Joyce out with a concussion sustained in that tackle from Tom Hawkins last week. He's actually been okay for us. Um, so that's a, unfortunate. Not that Fremantle have an abundance of tall forwards, although Taberner is in pretty good form. Um, so we looked at that. Highmore a chance to come back. Hunter Clark a chance to come back. And Connolly a chance to come back. Uh, concussions for the latter two. Um, really, it's just a case of, how we want to play it, really, whether it's Bytel, whether it's Alabakis, you play him as a second ruckman. I've got no idea if he's even fit or not, given the, the VFL is not playing, but he's not on the injury list, to, to my knowledge. Um, yeah, and it's a case of you know, seeing what we can get out of those young guys. It's still clearly a winnable game. They're, they're at our level. They've got more to play for than us, so that doesn't necessarily mean too much. But, H, what's your assessment of it, Fremantle? Did us what would have been a favour last week, but, um, look, I think in the end... Even if we had won both matches, we weren't getting in because I think Essendon will, will smack Collingwood around. I think, well, we need to find three retirees to play them this week, don't we? That, that was the key to last time. So 
Um, it's just just go down there, give give the young guys a game, see see what they do they can do. I mean, they're the sort of players that are going to want to have a game. They want to show what they've got. They're they're fighting for positions going into next season. So put the best team out there in the way of who who's wants a position next year and see what that can give us. I mean, it's it's the best opportunity to try something different, try players in a different spot and say, give us a, give it a go. See what you got, see what, see how you go with it. It's there's, there's virtually nothing to lose in that way. So put Cooper Sharman one up, one out at full forward. Good. Mm. Um, I don't know. As you're saying, if Alabaster is fit, yeah, bring him in as the Ruckman. Uh, put yeah, play Marshall as a centre half forward or something. So it's yeah, an opportunity to actually see something that we haven't seen this year. So Frio are a reasonable opponent, as you say, they're a similar sort of level. So it's yeah, that that's the best way to look at it. It's an opportunity to lead into next season. I a hundred percent agree. I, I think this is the week where you know, whatever whatever issues Jack Bytel has had throughout this year in terms of you know, pushing his case for selection, you put that aside and say, you, you're on the ball this week, go and win the ball. Yeah, 92% and, and, game time. Yeah, go yeah, you, yeah, you're playing, make your case. Show us what you can do. Um, you know, Ryan Burns on the ball. No, no more kind of half-forward flank, wing. You know, Ryan Burns, you're on the ball with Jack Bytel. Um Matty Allison, you're playing this week. You're going to play on the half-forward flank. You're going to run up to the wing and, and be that, you know, hard, hard-running kind of forward target. You run up to the wing, run up to half-back and, and be a, a marking target and then push forward, you know, run hard again. Um, like you said, Alabacus, you're playing. This might be your chance to show what you've got. You know, you might never get another chance, but if you come in and play a really good game against Sean Darcy, then maybe that's what keeps you on the list for another year, gets you another contract. Um you know, whatever whatever that looks like, we've we've seen the impact that Leo Connolly's had, you know, cross half back coming in coming in and showing a bit of spark. We we've seen Cooper Sharman over the last month and, and what he can do in showcasing his talents when no one thought that that was going to happen. Um, now's we have absolutely nothing to lose. We don't you know, it doesn't really matter if we get the four points, but you put out a team that's going to give them everything. And whether that's Alabacus, whether it's Matty Allison, whether it's Max Heath, who maybe potentially fitter than Alabacus. If Alabacus hasn't been able to play, at least Max Heath has been able to play footy. And used to say, look, you're probably not going to play next year, but you're the future with Rowan Marshall in, in Ruck. You get a taste. You know, we're going to play Rowan Marshall at full forward. You're going to, you're going to play in, in, in the middle of the ground and you're probably going to get towed up by Sean Darcy. But go and see how fast and how strong and how powerful AFL footy is and, and the difference and how hard you have to work over the preseason and, and, and to, to win a spot at AFL level. Um, give the guys a run. We have nothing to lose. And the last thing you want to do is for some of these senior players, whether it's a, a Rowan Marshall or Max King, obviously, who's not playing already, but you don't want those guys coming down with a, a, an ACL or, or a you know, broken back like, like we've seen with Jake Carlisle or... You know, with Rowan Marshall, you know, if he breaks his foot again, um, Liz Frank issued a guy his size and he does that again, then why why would you risk these guys in, in a, a real low-pressure situation for us? Right now, we're looking to next year and onwards. 
because I, I my feeling is that we're a real good shot for finals next year. We're yeah, we have a better going to yeah. have a, a better fixture. You know, a fit list, not as many, you know, veteran list cloggers. We're going to have a fair few changes to our, our playing list in our squad next year. That you know, circumstances are going to look very different. And we've we've got to we've got to have one eye on finals footy next year. Yeah, we had more than a thousand games on the injury list every game of the season this year, which was the worst of every team in the comp. And look, that only extends so far. But I mean, Gresham in particular is a massive loss for us. So we've probably there's a lot of debate about how many genuinely elite midfielders we have. The answer is one in in Jack Steele, but. Uh, Gresham and Clark are a chance to be a couple more. Gresham's played, I think, two of our last 25, 30 games. Um, and Hunter Clark's missed about eight weeks this year as well. But they're two that we needed to have, obviously, spend a lot of time in the middle with the rucks. And not counting Dylan Robertson, who retired, and not counting Ben Patton, who was unavailable for the entirety of the season, we had 41 players available over the course of the year and used 39 of them. The only two we didn't use were Allison and Alabacus from the start of the season. So I think Allison will probably get a game this week, so that'll tip us over to 40, um, which is quite remarkable that, that Alabacus could conceivably be the only fit senior-listed player that didn't get a game over the course of the season. So... Um, it does put that into a little bit of perspective. But, yeah, I kind of sort of see it the same way. I'd be tempted to maybe give another Ruckman a run so that Marshall can play forward um, and give us that king-like structure that we would normally have, um, which would help Sharman and would help potentially Allison and would certainly help Memory because um, I don't want Memory anchored to the goal square. I think his roaming role has been good for us. So, yeah, it, it's a good chance, H, to sort of just play around with a few of those things and, and try to blood it. Because, yeah, I mean, we, we found a few things this year. I mean, Connolly and, and Burns look like they can play and, and certainly Sharman looks like he can play. So just, just give him a bit of a look. Yeah, we've we've actually unearthed a bit of gold when you look at it. Um, as I say, we didn't expect to get anything from Sharman. We didn't expect to get a lot from um, Connolly. And he, he showed he's a good user of the ball. And it, it sort of what we have found in a time of need, uh, you've sort of looked back and gone, none of them have been bad. There's no. been nothing mm. come through and gone, they're not going to make it. Mm. Everything, everyone that's come into the team, you sort of thought, hey, they've got a little bit. Yeah. It? And we've it's, seen, seen it's, resurgences from Webster and McKenzie and, and those guys yeah. as well that kind of, you know, nailed down spots. So, yeah, McKenzie. Well, we mentioned Hanabry the other day. I actually, I actually thought Hanabry played all right the other, mm. the other day. He was solid. Yeah, yep. Solid. So, I mean, I mean, that's well, not sir, a future I mean, thing, but certainly can he see can he hasn't yeah. lost his ability to get his hands on the ball. You know, no, played that's right. 60% of game time and had 18 touches or something. He was so, probably in our best six or seven in reality. Yeah. yeah. For the time he was out, yeah. that, that's a fair return. You, you weren't expecting 30 touches and two goals from him. No, it, but you always think that's... you always think the eternal optimist. You're like, oh, what if he plays 16 games next year? And that's what you look hmm. for, oh, that sort of thing. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So if he plays 16 games next year, it's a massive, massive oh, yeah. upside. Yeah. So, I mean, that gives you consistency. And you're thinking, well, if he's playing 16 games, it, obviously we're traveling well because if we could fall in a hole, he's not going to play anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it would sort of be getting to the point of going, well, this, is, this isn't working. So it, if he has played 16 games by the, the time finals come next year, you got to say we're probably sitting in a pretty good position. 
the bloke we must get right for next year, not just right in terms of fitness, because fitness will be fine, but um, I know we'll touch more on that next week, but we have to sort battle out. Um, mm. uh, there's some murmurings that he's not all that happy, and I can understand why. Um, he's not getting locked into positions and stuff like that. We've got to figure out where we want him to play. None of this swinging around everywhere. He had that breakout year in 2019 playing off half back. Uh, he's looked all right when you played him leading as a leading forward. Just figure out what you want him to be because um, he can be pretty important to us as a side, but we've got to get that right. Otherwise, we'll lose him and he'll play 150 games somewhere else. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Yeah. I, th- I think Nick Coffield's another one who's shown shown his ability but has, has a, a, a really down year, and I think he's another another really important one to the way that we line up, the way that we structure our, our kind of back six or, or back half of the ground. Um, that you know, you get get his head right, and you get him in the game. That all of a sudden we we look a lot better when we've got ball in hand, and and his interceptabilities and reading the play and all that sort of stuff. That you know, the the, the three guys. I think if you get the heads right and you get the bodies right, Josh Battle, Hunter Clark, and Nick Caulfield mm-hmm. make a huge difference to the way that that we play the style of footy that we want to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spot on. Battle's problem was he really he was a really bits and pieces player. He didn't have that position that yeah. he was in that position and someone else had to get him out of, or yeah. he was sort of like, oh, this player's out. We'll use you here. Victim of don't, yeah. Players don't really hold positions when that's what their role is. So Correct. he needed to find a way to break into a position and not being able to be removed from it. But that, that just hasn't happened. And I mean, your question is, that position there, or is he always going to be a bits and pieces player? Well, I wonder now, and again, sort of branching a little bit into that the sort of next week territory, but with Frawley, you would think retiring, with Robert and already retired, with Carlisle gone, um, with, you know, we've got Wilkie, Howard, Highmore, Claverino, Joyce, etc. whether Battle can become that defender again. Um where do we look at it and say, okay, well, maybe we'll go and get Talia or someone like that, but but he's the depth player and it's your spot battle. I know you're not a monster to play fullback, but Howard plays fullback, Wilkie gets the second tall, and you and Highmore are your interceptors and you can give a bit of rebound and that sort of thing because Clark will go into the middle and and just change things up a little bit. Um, but then you've got to balance that with Webster and with Patton coming back in. But they're good problems to have, but you just got to mm. figure it out. Um, I, I sort of feel that at the end of the day, his best football has probably been at halfback, um, but he has looked all right forward too. So, well, he's, yeah. he's a natural a natural forward and he's a beautiful kick for goal. And, mm. and in a year where we haven't had many of those, it's mm. hard to start, to kind of move him away from that, that type mm. of forward position. But, you know, if, if he could become that third tall defender and, and really become kind of that, you know, whether it's, McGovern or or whoever it is, yeah, that real kind of solid intercept mark reads the play, intercept rebound type play. Then it gives the ability to to push guys like Clark or or Caulfield or whoever it is, um, Sinclair further forward, and to be able to impact in other ways than using them as as intercept rebound players. And you know we know that those guys were all kind of they all came into the system as midfielders or as wingmen. So if we can if we can release them into their more natural positions, then you know maybe battle can hold down that third that third key tall spot. Potentially, potentially, yeah. And um, 
You're right on Caulfield too. Like he's another one that's sort of got to bounce back. But uh, we'll pull all that apart next week. There's a thousand different avenues to to, to talk about list-wise. It's it's a, going to be a fascinating discussion that one. So we very much look forward to having it. But it'd be nice to uh, to take out Frio um, in Tassie, get that result this week, get a ten-win season, which reads certainly better, infinitely better than nine and thirteen for whatever reason. If you have a double-figure win season, it's it, some whatever reason feels slightly more redeemable so we'll look ahead to that on Sunday and a big thank you to Dean Rice for joining us and we'll be back for a, a full list assessment next week